Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast. Happy July 1st, everybody. What would normally be the NBA free agency day, uh, not at this point, not last year, not this year, but still, there's a lot going on in the world of sports. Uh, un- atypical, not untypical, atypical is the word that I was looking for. Atypical for a July 1st, uh, and we may be a day late. I mentioned it a little bit on Monday, but happy anniversary. This is the two-year anniversary of the Take It Easy podcast. And uh, thank you to everyone who has continued their support of this podcast across the last two years. We hit 400 five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts just the other day, and you know that made me feel good. It made me feel a little vindicated. So thank you to everyone who continues to support the page, and uh, here's to another year of fantabulous content coming at you from the Take It Easy podcast. Uh, we've got a lot to cover today. We are going to talk about the NCAA coming up because I've got a, a bone to pick and sorting out some misinformation that uh, has been going around Twitter and Instagram across the last 12 hours with the NCAA's decision to pass universal name, image, and likeness laws. And I put decision in air quotes because it was not a decision for them to make. Anyways, we'll get to that in a bit, uh, as well as talking about Trevor Bauer. But we begin with hashtag rally the valley. And what a story this is, people. The Phoenix Suns are going to the NBA Finals. They won game six quite handily against the Los Angeles Clippers without Kawhi Leonard. They won by like 24 points. And Chris Paul, the stone cold mercenary, the 36 year old who is not part of the old generation or the new generation, the stone cold mercenary traveling from team to team for years and years is finally rewarded with a trip to the NBA Finals with a team that he very much led to the NBA Finals. Now, Devin Booker might be the best player on the Phoenix Suns. Both of them are all-stars, so I don't want to like... It's a lot of nitpicking to decide who's the better player. But Chris Paul is very clearly the heart and soul of that basketball team. And their domination 
of the Los Angeles Clippers. Obviously, they've caught good breaks, and we've talked about that before, is that you know the Suns benefited from playing the Anthony Davis less Clippers or Anthony Davis less Lakers in the first round, the Jamal Murray less Nuggets, and the Kawhi Leonard less Clippers. Yet still, the Phoenix Suns being here is a crazy story in and of itself and something that history will remember for a long time because the Phoenix Suns, who now might be in a position to win the championship, given that Giannis Antetokounmpo is doubtful for Game 5 tonight against the Atlanta Hawks, the Phoenix Suns were a franchise marred in mediocrity that has now caught all sorts of good breaks with Monty Williams, who you cannot, there's like, if you know Monty Williams story from a car crash where his wife died and left his four daughters to him to raise by himself, he left basketball for a while, came back, got the head coaching job in Phoenix, which was a job at the time that was not very desirable. And for Monty Williams to be here now, it's, it's a story that everyone can get behind and everyone feels great for him for James Jones the guy who for years was the butt of all these LeBron jokes because he spent four years with LeBron in Miami and as soon as Miami went to Cleveland he went and followed LeBron to Cleveland for three seasons he retired to get the president of basketball operations job with the Phoenix Suns getting to jump the line per se before paying some dues in the in the business and James Jones, you know, inherited Devin Booker, inherited DeAndre Ayton, but also drafted Michael Bridges and traded Zaire Smith to land Michael Bridges and navigated the trade to bring in Chris Paul and signed Campaign and signed Tory Craig and signed Jay Crowder. It was a, a navigation of by James Jones of epic proportions. He won player or he won executive of the year this year because he traded Ricky Rubio, Kelly Oubre and a first round pick top 12 protected for Chris Paul and like Ty Jerome was in the trade also but I don't know if Ty Jerome's going to end up mattering that much in the grand scheme of things the point being that was the deal that made the Phoenix Suns a champion team Western Conference champion after they went the longest non-Kings playoff drought in the NBA. They went a decade, a damn decade, without having success, which is really hard to do in the NBA. It's really hard to go a damn decade without winning anything. And Devin Booker has endured six, seven years of this now. He's in his sixth season I believe now in the NBA 2015 draft so this is Devin Booker's sixth season they rebuilt around him which was a difficult proposition in and of itself because when you have a Devin Booker a 22 year old all-star who can score 70 points in a game at 21 years old 22 years old it makes rebuilding around him that much more difficult but the Phoenix Suns navigated it, and we've talked about this before. There was there was some good. They got DeAndre Ayton with the number one pick in the draft as a you know franchise building block. Uh, they drafted Michael Bridges. They traded the pick that became Jarrett Culver for Dario Saric, so that worked out quite well for them. 
The Phoenix Suns also made some mistakes through the draft. They drafted Josh Jackson over De'Aaron Fox. They traded two first-round picks for Marquise Chris. Like the Phoenix Suns, and also in drafting DeAndre Ayton, they passed on Luka Doncic. So obviously they made some mistakes within their drafting room, and every franchise is going to have that level of success and failures. And it's one big move like a Chris Paul trade. And some good breaks, of course. Like they let's not pretend like they didn't play three teams without either their best player or their second best player in the postseason, while apart from two Chris Paul quarantine games, they remained remarkably healthy. But the Phoenix Suns are still an unbelievable story. And Chris Paul coming in being the piece to turn around that franchise was quite remarkable, and he was rewarded with a 31-point second half against the Clippers. He finished the game with 41. 31 in the second half was his career high of any game, and the Phoenix Suns outscored the Clippers 64-46 to in the second half. Chris Paul was rewarded in what I read an article before, I think it was from The Ringer, or it was from uh, Clutch Points, I can't remember who said it, but it was the biggest legacy game of Chris Paul's career. This Game 6 was the biggest legacy game of Chris Paul's career. One game away from the finals, a team you're clearly outmatching. Um, you know, Marcus Morris and Reggie Jackson and Paul George can only get you so far as a big three stacked up against three legitimate top 50 players, two All-Stars and DeAndre Ayton who at you know at 22 is putting up double doubles and 16 and 17 games all the time here in the playoffs. So yeah, Chris Paul passed whatever fake test you wanted to give him. Chris Paul passed the sniff test, the eye test, whatever you want to call it because this 36-year-old stone cold mercenary. He's not part of the old generation even though you could argue he's only like 2 years older than LeBron. But LeBron is a, an anomaly of the body. He's not part of the younger generation like Devin Booker. He's not a baby like Trey Young. Chris Paul is just a mercenary who's bounced from team to team to team and finished top five in the MVP this year. And, and Chris Paul is getting rewarded for years being obviously a Hall of Famer, one of the, the handful of best players in the NBA, multiple times playing with the most talented rosters in the NBA from the, the 2015 Clippers were one of the most talented rosters in basketball of the last, you know, seven years. And that year they were the most talented roster in basketball over the warriors who would eventually win the championship. They just happened to fall to the Rockets in a three, one collapse. And then he would go to the Rockets, the 2018 Houston Rockets with him, and James Harden were better than the Golden State Warriors. I remember that game five of that Western Conference Finals when the Rockets went up 3-2 on the Warriors. I was sitting on my couch, and I, I said to myself in that moment, the Rockets are a better team. Rockets are better than the 73-9 and Golden State Warriors with Kevin Durant. And Chris Paul popped a hamstring, and he missed game six and seven, and the, the Warriors would win both of those games. And so Chris Paul now with the most talented rosters has come up short multiple times. And now to get to the finals with this Phoenix Suns team is some sort of vindication or all of the 
the joy and pride that Chris Paul's been waiting for for years and years. And it's just such a cool story. For the Phoenix Suns to dominate the way that they did, to win series against shorthanded teams, no question, but a team that has never been to this point before, where I had said the other day, Clippers won the most difficult game of the three in game five. You might start to see the Suns pack it in and fold up. And it's not like Devin Booker was awesome in game six. What ended up happening was Chris Paul took over. Chris Paul put the team on his back at the end of game six and dominated. Just 130 points picked apart the Clippers defense shot 16 for 24 in the game, shot 66% from the field, hit seven three-pointers. Jay Crowder hit five three-pointers. Devin Booker took more shots than Chris Paul and had half as many points. Like, Devin Booker played poorly. This was a prime moment for the Clippers, and Chris Paul just took over against an undermatched team, against a team that had gotten to this point with scheming and playing around and high usage rates and being like a seven seed led by Paul George, like schemed around all of that. And it wasn't enough because Chris Paul said, I'm taking us to the promised land. I'm going to hit 10 straight shots like I did to close out the Denver Nuggets. I'm going to go nuclear here and I'm going to get us to the NBA finals. And it was a heroic performance that if it was indeed whatever you know sort of lack of perspective legacy game for Chris Paul Chris Paul passed whatever test you want to give him with flying colors and it makes it an unbelievable story for a franchise that had goats shitting in the locker room or shitting in the front office I think it was and an owner that is notoriously cheap and threats of a relocation and a decade of bad basketball the Phoenix Suns, you know, d- traded Eric Bledsoe for for uh, Greg Monroe. They traded Isaiah Thomas for Marshawn Brooks. For a team that's made so many catastrophic mistakes through the drafting process and through free agency and through incompetence in the ownership and moving from GM to GM to coach to coach year after year for them to make it to the finals in their first year with this core of the team is a remarkable story. And a lot of the times, I'm glad that it's there. I mean, the Suns were a two-seed this year, the first two-seed ever to not be favored in their first-round series. But still, it is an unreal story for what the Phoenix Suns have done so far this year, where they came from, where they were even a year ago, running through the NBA bubble at 8-0 and missing the playoffs because they were the 13 seeds starting out in the bubble. I think even if you would have told Suns fans last year after their 8-0 start, hey, like we said on the Take It Easy podcast, your rebuild is over. Your window is now opening. I don't even think Suns fans would have believed you saying that back in 2020 leaving the Orlando bubble after you know Damian or after Devin Booker missed a game winning shot to beat the Blazers or no I forgot someone missed a game winning shot to beat the Blazers that would have moved the Suns into the playoffs I think if you would have said it even back then 
people, Suns fans wouldn't have believed you. Wouldn't have believed you that that level of success could happen that fast. And it's just an unbelievable story. It's a fun story. And the Suns story shall continue into the NBA Finals with one of the faces of the baby generation, Devin Booker. Or I'm sorry, one of the faces of the baby generation, DeAndre Ayton. One of the faces of the the youth generation entering his prime, Devin Booker. And stone cold mercenary, Chris Paul. All right, let's talk a bit about the NCAA because the NCAA finally chipped away at shamaturism yesterday by passing universal name, image, and likeness laws for all 50 college or all 50 states. So across the union and across the NCAA, all athletes are allowed to profit off of their name, image, and likeness without losing NCAA eligibility. And a lot of people were taking a victory lap on that yesterday that, you know, the NCAA is finally making progress and that we are seeing the changes. And I would like to correct some of the the things that have been spoken around in the narrative here with this story. Because as you know, we've been talking about name, image, and likeness laws and the NCAA's fall of shamaturism and the changing tides of college sports for about, well, two years. Because we've had this podcast for two years now, but it's been a pressing issue for much longer than that. The NCAA needs to continue to be held accountable. Yesterday was not a victory lap for college athletes or a victory lap for detractors of the NCAA. Yesterday was a victory lap and deserved to be so for the people who have fought years and years for the rights of student athletes, whether that's former athletes, current athletes, which is a difficult slope because college athletes move out in four-year cycles. It's the reason why they were able to perpetuate amateurism and never have a, a sort of movement that continued very long was just because people would graduate out. People would leave the system and go off on their own lives. Like a lot of college clubs and campus activities end up being is that you filter new people in and out every three to four years. And sometimes a, a major movement like taking down a billion dollar corporation's exploitation of its labor takes longer than four or five years. But This is a victory lap for the people who have been fighting for years on behalf of the rights of student athletes uh, in legislature, in social um, social circles, in student in helping student athletes understand their rights and push back against a narrative that has been perpetuated across 50 years in an effort to minimize costs and maximizing revenues, which businesses should do. I understand why the NCAA keeps up this system. When you can pay athletes 16 cents on the dollar, you should absolutely do so. And you still get to keep all your ridiculous profits that you use to have fireworks shows at a strip club to announce that you are starting a partnership with Adidas like the University of of Miami did a few years ago. 
and you can have $27 million facilities and however else you spend money just to make sure that you break, you don't break even on your budget at the end of the year. So this is a victory for those people, for the people who have been fighting for years, the college athletes themselves who have pushed back against the narrative, the people who for, who went a, across the seas or went to the G League instead of going to college sports and forcing college sports to rethink the way that they do their business. Those are the people who this is a victory for. Now to the NCAA. Do you know why the NCAA name, image, and likeness ruling happened yesterday? Because as of about six hours ago at midnight on July 1st, preventing student athletes from profiting off of their name, image, and likeness was illegal in 13 states. Had the NCAA not done that yesterday, it would have the NCAA would have been committing a crime in 13 states. Because 13 states name, image, and likeness laws, which are, again, at different degrees, based on the regional politics of the state that you live in, in 13 different states, name, image, and likeness laws were going to go into effect. The NCAA literally waited until the very last moment. Literally eight hours before it was illegal. The NCAA's economic model would have been illegal in 13 states, eight hours later. And the NCAA got ahead of the curve and said, well, if 13 states are going to do this, we have to even the playing field and make sure all 50 states have universal name, image, and likeness laws. And they're going to adapt them, they're going to evolve them, and they're going to try and be tricky about them. The ultimate goal for the NCAA is how can we maintain this system as much as we can and how can we prevent the kids from getting some form of power? Because right now, NCAA students have the illusion of power. They don't have real power. They are in a system where they are labor with no rights, no negotiating leverages, no ability to withhold their labor and go on strike without large organizations, because they don't have an organization, that would also be illegal under federal law, unfortunately. Federal law has taken away the ability to strike and withhold labor, the only leverage tool when it comes down to it that labor has over its employment is to withhold their labor. So the college students do not have actual power. Not even Trevor Lawrence had power against the system. He tried to push back but not even Trevor Lawrence had the power except on the social levels and the way that the locker room behaves. Pressuring your coaches to change is the only real kind of leverage that you have. But even then, it's an ironclad dictatorship and they cycle through people every four years. The NCAA had to change and they are going to continue to change their rules and make it look glossy like yesterday. And for people who have not been following this story, which is totally understandable, following NCAA bylaws 
and whether or not college athletes can receive name, image, and likeness compensation, which is a step in the right direction. It now dictates that college students can earn what the free market says they are worth in terms of endorsements. So money not from the university. Yet at the same time, it's not enough. And it's a, it's people have been fighting for this for years and years and taking it to state legislature and having the 13 states yesterday who passed some form of name, image, and likeness laws end up putting those into effect and therefore forcing the NCAA to change, not because the NCAA came around on anything, because it's now illegal. <laughs> because the NCAA would have been committing a crime this morning had they not changed their NCAA bylaws. And so they changed it yesterday before that goes into effect. And ultimately, what the NCAA is going to continue to push back on for the next few years and the next few months as name, image, and likeness comes into effect and they hold on to the Supreme Court's ruling that they cannot put a cap on education-related benefits, which is a huge step. Like This part is a big step in the right direction is that students can now look for uh, things that have been asked for for years, uh, graduate school scholarships, laptops, uh, opportunities for internships while being student athletes. These are opportunities now that can be demanded of the universities by the students as some form of working closer towards that equal compensation. Because as we've talked about before, and I will mention this again, the scholarship the free food, the free housing for four years that student athletes get adds up to about $160,000. This is according to Drexel University, $160,000. And student athletes with the current contracts for a Power 5 school, each one is worth about a million dollars to the university. So if you take across four years, they are worth a million dollars per student to the university. And that 16 cents on the dollar is slowly being closed with education-related benefits, getting paid with more books, more opportunities in college, and potentially after college, based on how this gets implemented. And that is why it is so important to continue pressuring the NCAA to break down the shamaturism model, to put accountability to the words of what the NCAA says and hold them to the legal laws which is ultimately the role of journalism. But in this case, it means so much because these are lives we can look and see and point to and say, these are the people that are affected by this. These are generations of kids, young adults, but more specifically, black kids and brown kids and brown adults and black young adults who are not getting equal compensation and not being able to take advantage of an opportunity for economic mobility because a lot of kids and students who get these athletic scholarships are afforded opportunities that they may not have had in the past. But now we can take that a step further. Now we can start talking about, hey, it's an opportunity for four years and after that you can go do whatever the hell you want to do. But if there's no pathway to success, then a lot of times you fall back into whatever options you had before. And all of a sudden, an opportunity to make a million dollars, generational changing money, life changing money, goes out the door. 
and you you might have a gigantic social media following that you know the money is i mean let me just tell you right now the money is all over the place when it comes to social media and so this is a really really interesting situation that we need to do as you know i mean we could say journalists but just as common folk people who follow this story or don't follow this story. It's so important to continue putting pressure on the NCAA because the NCAA's ultimate objective is to make money for themselves, but in a different way of phrasing it, an unintended consequence. And they won't say that this is their reason because it's not their intention. But at the same time, it's a lot of white administrators pushing to keep black and brown kids and black, brown and women broke. Ultimately, that's what the NCAA bylaws are designed to do, to keep kids broke. Georgia has a name, image, and likeness law that they will have going into effect where they take 75% of all education-related income, or I'm sorry, not education, all 75% of all endorsement income, put it into a pool and disperse it to all of the kids. Not one person can make whatever they want to make, they can only keep 25% of it. Everything else has to be put in a pool and dispersed out to other students. Now, the NCAA bylaws might change Georgia's name, image, and likeness rules. But ultimately, what that is designed to do is to keep kids broke. You give them just a small stipend. Each of them gets a small little bit. And it doesn't do anything. It's a terrible idea that is designed to maintain the structures of college sports, which is how can we keep black kids, brown kids, and women broke? That is ultimately what the goal of this system is, is how can we continue to exploit these students and these athletes, which is both in combination, they're not student athletes, they are athletes who happen to be students, how can we keep these athletes broke? More specifically, black, brown, and women. Black kids, brown kids, and women. How can we keep them broke? It's not with malicious intent, but it's a lot of subconscious bias. It's a lot of being grandfathered in a system of exploitation that goes back literally to the days when black and brown people and women could not vote. And women were not allowed to take out checking accounts, which was a thing until 1971, I believe. It's either 71 or 72 that women were not allowed to open a checking account. It is a system that has been grandfathered in, perpetuated across 50 years, and now has gotten to be so crazy that the law is starting to step in on a bipartisan issue, which is that college sports are exploiting their student-athletes, not receiving fair competition and fair wages, and slowly but steadily that change is going to come. And this is a massive step. It's something that's been worked towards for four years. As long as I've understood the idea of college athletes getting paid, name, image, and likeness has been something that has been fought for. Just like when we talk about the one-time transfer rule, which is now universal, that anyone can transfer one time without any sitting out a year or losing a year of eligibility, which was a no-brainer before, because why should you be punished for leaving 
a place when you have very good reasons to leave a place. I trust that these people are rational human beings with good reasons to leave a place. Even if it's just this place allows me to play and that place doesn't, that's a good reason. It's a good reason to leave somewhere. But that one-time transfer rule that is now changing the landscape of college basketball overnight and having Coach K retire and Roy Williams retire and Lon Kruger retire and Coach Calipari talk about going to the NBA. The changes in the sport are fought for. They are not given, they are taken. Yesterday was a victory lap for those who have fought to take from the NCAA. The NCAA has taken from its student-athletes, which, again, they're not student-athletes, they're athletes who are students. I hate saying student-athletes. The NCAA has taken from their labor time and time again for generations upon generations upon generations as they now make in over a billion dollars in revenue per year distributed to each of these schools that now have $27 million facilities and ridiculous amounts of money to spend on fireworks shows to announce Adidas apparel, Adidas apparel internships or Adidas apparel deals. Sorry, not internships, Adidas apparel deals for the next seven years. Now it is being taken back. The money is being taken from the top and given to the people who are being exploited in an effort to maximize those profits. One-time transfer rules, while don't ex- while they don't exactly correlate to financial benefits, they are absolutely a step in the direction to grant power to the students. Often money leads to power, but sometimes you can have power in leverage. And in this case, they have power in leverage. And now they will get power in money. The ability to market themselves. The ability to hold events like, I don't know, say a transfer party or a high school, like college announcement, high school declaration party where you can have sponsors and earn a bunch of money. This is a good thing across the board, even for student athletes who don't have a big name. If you've got a big social media following, you will be able to earn some money. You will be able to sell your jerseys. This is a very, very good thing. And it has been fought for across years and years, and you must continue to... This is a victory, but it is not the victory. You must continue to pressure the NCAA. We must continue to force the NCAA to change its laws by pressuring them to change, whether that be financially, by, you know, I mean, their money is guaranteed, so all it means is just not giving them hundreds of dollars on tickets or buying jerseys that aren't from the athletes themselves. These are small steps in terms of the financial incentives, but ultimately, We have to keep putting pressure on powerful institutions, which is what journalism does. Ultimately, that's what journalism is meant to do. It's meant to hold powerful people accountable. And the work that has been done under the surface shall be celebrated today. Not the NCAA for changing their decision. Again, it is illegal. The NCAA changed at the latest moment possible. And again, I understand why the NCAA is doing it. I understand 100% why the NCAA does it. It is in their incentive 
to wait as long as possible. This is understandable. It has moral and ethical conundrums and moral and ethical problems, but at the same time, I understand why the NCAA does. It's their incentive. If I were in the NCAA's position, I would have done the exact same thing. I would have waited till the very last moment, passed a universal name, image, and likeness law so that we can take a victory and say, look at how progressive we are starting to be. And we are now going to change our name, image, and likeness laws with the changing times. No, the NCAA pushed against name, image, and likeness laws. They said when California passed name, image, and likeness laws that they would ban California teams from participating in championship events. But then 30 states passed name, image, and likeness laws, and they said, okay, let's make our own name, image, and likeness laws. Why? Because it's illegal. It is now illegal in 13 states had they not changed yesterday. And so they got ahead of the curve, and instead of saying, we'll do it state by state, which is what the government said, the NCAA said, we're just going to make universal rules across the board around name, image, and likeness. Continue to hold the NCAA accountable, and most importantly, do not let the NCAA off the hook. This is a victory, but it's not the victory. In what I, I read an article that was talking about this that called this maybe the most transformative summer in college sports since Title IX. In this transformative summer, name, image, and likeness is one step. It's one step in the right direction. It's not the end-all, be-all. You have to keep pushing, and, and people are going to continue to do this. I'm not going to pretend like I'm on the front lines helping student-athletes or negotiating agent deals or anything like that. I'm not going to pretend like I've been someone in front here. I've just been talking about it on a podcast for years, trying to, to convey a message of, of what is wrong with the NCAA and what is ultimately a battle of labor versus management. And it's the battle of labor versus management that is in plain sight in the sports world. It has never been this more clear of an exploitation of labor by management that can easily be corrected right in front of our eyes. It's hard to identify this when it's in a Chinese labor camp. It's hard to identify this when we talk about the minimum wage not going up for 45 years. And it's hard to talk about this when we talk about federal unemployment and universal basic income. It's really, really complicated. This is not complicated. This is exploitation of, of athletes by an institution that they cannot you know, get fair market competition. You can't go anywhere else besides the NCAA. At least you couldn't for years. Now, you know, the NBA is creating viable options for players who want to skip the NCAA and make $100,000 or $200,000 or whatever it might be. Hold the NCAA accountable. Do not let them off the hook and recognize that the only reason that they changed yesterday, that they changed course and made it for all 50 states to profit from name, image, and likeness is because beginning today at midnight, it was illegal in 13 states. The NCAA would have been breaking the law had they not changed their name, image, and likeness laws overnight. And overnight they did, waiting till the very last moment to do it. So yesterday was a victory for the people who have been fighting for years for this day and for this moment. Not a victory for the NCAA, not a victory for student-athletes, although it is a victory for student-athletes. This is a victory for the people who have been fighting behind the scenes for five, six, seven, eight, all the way back 20 years.
All right. So I'd like to to wrap up today with uh, we went we went from lighthearted to to more serious to now let's get to uh, the most serious story of the day, which is Trevor Bauer. And Trevor Bauer is someone that we like to joke about on the podcast that he is the uh, he is baseball baseball's anarchist. He is someone who bucks against the grain and says crazy things, but also says things that are obvious about Major League Baseball, and Trevor Bauer is now facing allegations of sexual assault in California for events that went down between April and May of 2021. And I want to read the the details of the story from Paul Kasabian of Bleacher Report. Um, because this is this is important to point out, and it's important to discuss these situations. Because for some people, the default is to initially dismiss some of these stories. The same thing happened with Deshaun Watson, um, the most recent case of an athlete facing sexual harassment and sexual assault allegations. the The initial point, the initial thought, is to dismiss because. There's, this is basically a human psychology idea that it's there's this these things that we can't comprehend. The incomprehensible has this unrelenting human emotion to deflect. We deflect blame in these circumstances because we can't comprehend the idea of rape, of sexual assault, of buildings collapsing in Miami leaving 150 people missing and finding 12 or so dead, but being unable imagine losing a loved one and being unable to recover the body or having a loved one die. And you can't say goodbye to them. Things that are incomprehensible. We tend to deflect. We have this unrelenting human emotion to deflect for some of us. That means deflecting blame to a single actor which happens all the time in sexual assault cases, especially by men, deflecting the blame onto women. Others frame it as a stranger things have happened or I've seen it all before type of thing, which is a lot of the times how I comprehend with the incomprehensible is by saying, well, it could always be worse. It could always be crazier. I've seen it all before. And others deny reality altogether, which in cases of sexual assault happens all the time is... Uh, you know, this is not true. And it happens a lot now with media where media reports things and instantly it's taken as fake news when a lot of media is, I mean, not a lot. I should say journal journalism has to go through so many checks and double checks and triple checks of sources and quadruple checks to get information passed that it's generally good. It's important to know what it is that's being said when it's journalistically credible. And so with that being said, this is Paul Kasabian of Bleacher Report. I wanted to read the story of the the Trevor Bauer allegations um, in Pasadena County uh, across the last few days. So just as a side note here, the following article discusses sensitive details regarding allegations of sexual assault. If that is a trigger um, or if something within it you think may may cause some, I don't want to say discomfort because um, it's more than that. But let's say if it's a trigger for you, um, 
please, by all means, please pause the podcast, but let, let's proceed. The Pasadena Police Department announced Tuesday that it opened an investigation several weeks ago into Los Angeles Dodgers starting pitcher Trevor Bauer after a woman said he sexually assaulted her in Pasadena, California. On Wednesday, graphic details of the allegations were included as part of the women's domestic violence restraining order against the pitcher, per Brittany Giarelli, sorry if I botched her name, and Katie Strang of The Athletic. The woman said in a 67-page ex parte document that the pitcher assaulted her on two separate occasions that, quote, included Bauer punching her in the face, vagina, and buttocks, sticking his fingers down her throat, and strangling her to the point where she lost consciousness multiple times. The woman said that she met Bauer on Instagram in April 2021 and traveled from San Diego to Los Angeles to meet him in person on April 21st, which she said was when the first of two encounters occurred. She said the second time occurred on the evening of May 15th. The woman said both encounters began in a consensual manner before Bauer committed acts that she did not provide consent for. The woman also said the second encounter resulted in her suffering, quote, two black eyes, a bloodied swollen lip, significant bruising, and scratching to one side of her face, per Giaroli and Strain. She said her medical notes also stated that she suffered significant head and facial trauma and that she so showed signs of blazier basilar, sorry, basilar skull fracture. The woman also stated that she lost consciousness during the first encounter and woke up to Bauer penetrating her anally. Quote, I woke up face down on the bed, disoriented. I began realizing that he was having sex with me in my anus, which I never communicated that I wanted, nor did I consent, the woman said in the declaration, which was signed, quote, under penalty of perjury of California state laws. Bauer's agent, John Federolf, 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 Bauer's agent denied the allegations in a statement released Tuesday, quote, Mr. Bauer had a brief and wholly consensual sexual relationship initiated by the woman beginning in April 2021. We have messages that show the women repeatedly asking for, quote, rough sexual encounters involving requests to be choked out and slapped in the face. In both of their encounters, the woman drove from San Diego to Mr. Bauer's residence in Pasadena, California, where she went on to dictate what she wanted from him sexually, and he did what was asked. Following each of her only two meetings with Mr. Bauer, the woman spent the night and left without incident, continuing to message Mr. Bauer with friendly and flirtatious banter. In the days following their second and final encounter, the woman shared photos of herself and indicated that she had sought medical care for a concussion. Mr. Bauer responded with concern and confusion, and the woman was neither angry nor accusatory. Mr. Bauer and the woman have not corresponded in over a month and have not seen each other in over six weeks. Her basis for filing a protection order is non-existent, fraudulent, and deliberately omits key facts, information, and her own relevant communications. Any allegations that the pair's encounter were not 100% consensual are baseless, defamatory, and will be refuted to the fullest extent of the law. Bowers Camp declined any further comment than that statement when approached by Giaroli and Strange. Brian Friedman, who is representing the woman in the case, stated the following to Giaroli and Strange. Without going into detail for the benefit of both my client and Mr. Bauer, the pictures evidencing the uncon 
tests unconsented abuse do not lie. Any suggestion that she was not the victim of assault is not only false and defamatory, but, in fact, perpetuates the abuse. Our client truly wants Mr. Bauer to engage in a medically appropriate therapeutic process where he can receive the treatment he needs to never act this way again. If he is willing to meaningfully participate in a process directed by appropriate professionals, it will go a long way towards allowing her to feel safe and resolved this res, and resolving this matter. But regardless, she cannot allow to, this to happen unknowingly to anyone else. And uh, from a baseball standpoint, the 30-year-old is still listed on the Dodgers' active roster and most recently started against the San Francisco Giants on Monday. He made 17 starts for the Dodgers this year. And Trevor Bauer is, I believe, Major League Baseball was made aware of the situation. Um, the Dodgers reported it to Major League Baseball, and they are handling the matter. But they don't have a comment while the legal process proceeds. So that I, I don't have commentary on this story. Um, obviously, we've been partial to Bauer in the past, so this was a story that I felt was important to address. Um, but in this case. I don't feel it's appropriate for myself to make comments towards this um, more so than we should support the victims of sexual assaults, even in the denial process, because more often than not, this happens. Uh, I believe the statistic is 25% of women have suffered some form of sexual harassment or sexual assault. And there's a lot of male privilege involved in a lot of this. And so I would say that, for the meantime, I just wanted to share this story, but it is important to to talk about these things, even in the graphic details that are being reported, because it helps us to better actually picture that there is a victim and a real story behind this. So with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. We release episodes every single day, Monday through Friday, as well as Wired Up on Sundays. Remember to follow, download, leave a five-star review. Doesn't have to be a nice review, just needs to be a five-star review. So thank you for stopping in, everybody, and uh, we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.